So welcome to episode 32 of Developer Melange, the podcast about developing software in the 21st century directly from Vienna, Austria. Developer Melange brings regular discussions about everything software development. You can find us online on developermelange.com. Oh, that changed. And you can follow us on Twitter. We are at DevMelange. That's Def, M-E-L-A-N-G-E. We are very keen on learning what you think about this show or the podcast itself. So please reach out for us on Twitter or leave your comments on our website. We appreciate all of your feedback. This episode has been made possible with the help of Manning Publications, an independent publisher of computer books and video courses. Later in this episode, you can learn how to receive a discount as well as some free ebook codes. If you'd like to pay for our drinks in a future episode, please contact us. And now, here are your hosts. My name is David. I'm a co-founder of Square Solutions, a Viennese software company. I describe myself as an enthusiastic software professional who is working on various projects using a bunch of different stacks and environments. Impressive, David. My name is uh, Peter Kofler. I am the code cop. Obviously, I'm fanatic about clean code. And my name is Christian Haas. I am a developer who embraces extreme programming. And today's episode topic is design and style guides and everything in between. And with us is our guest today, Matthias Novak. Welcome, Matthias. Thank you. So, Matthias, please introduce yourself. Yeah, so... Um, um... As you said, my name is Matthias Novak. I live in the Netherlands and um, working from home usually, so there's no, not a big difference from the current uh, situation. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm usually very happy to do it, and uh, but you know I, I miss the, the teamwork. Of course, it's like going to the to the team sometimes and and discussing things in real life. It's it's a bit different, I, I must say. I'm here. Yeah, you you invited me to to talk about um, uh, uh, basically my latest book. Uh, the the object design style guide, which was uh, uh, published by Manning. It was published before by myself on LeanPub, which is um, usually the the way I I start with a book project. I, I publish it there and um, release chapters every now and then. Uh, but they they thought it would be interesting to 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 make it available to a, a wider audience, um, not just uh, the PHP programmers that I usually write for, but also any other object oriented programmers. Um, and it's 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 one of my favorite topics, like objects, how to get them right, how to design them, uh, do meaningful things with them. And uh, I think the in particular, like the the programming community that that I am from, has uh, developed itself in many many ways. Uh, and and it's it's like, for me, this was the the right thing to write at this time, uh, oh, because good. people are interested in learning about it and and improving their their programming skills. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's always about guides. You know, starting from a style guide, then patterns and object uh, designing guides, perhaps even packages. And some of these guides, uh, I believe, they are called guides, and yet someone is is uh, looking stringent and how uh, that they should be followed. So, mm -hmm. as an opening question, perhaps, uh, are there any? What was your first guide that you had to follow as a programmer? And that was a question for the whole group. And I will start to give a reference what I mean with that. I remember in, in, in school, so uh, quite some years ago, when we learned uh, C++, I believe, the teacher said that we had to write our code with an indentation of uh, three mm -hmm. spaces. And the opening curly brace must be on, an, on a separate line, for instance. And I followed right. this then from, from forevermore. 
until you know, my first job, the lead developer said, no, no, you have to do it differently. All right, all right, and, and switched mm -hmm. on again. And it took me over 15 years since that, that school uh, event to learn where there are some automated formatters, for instance, as well. So that was my first guide I had to follow in school. Right. So what about um, <laughs> David, for instance, what was your first guide? Well, my first guide was was really crazy and, and I really hate it, honestly. I, I don't I have this feeling in my stomach if I have to talk about it, but I worked for, for a big Austrian company um, and they had this, I don't know what it, what the name was back then, but in, in Java languages and also as in C++ you had this kind of prefix for fields, for example, you, you prefixed all the memory variables with M underscore and, and this was really so much to write, yeah. Um, and and by by chance, I, I had I had the possibility to look at this project or at this code base a few months ago now already, and it's still like this, yeah. Uh, and it's 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 kind of crazy. Yeah, I, I never understood it. I never wanted to do it, but it had to be done. It broke all the OIR mappers. Everything <laughs> didn't work anymore because of this stupid prefixes but yeah this i think was my first um real guide where i said oh my god yeah how about you peter i can't remember i can only remember one uh, particular guideline which let me uh, lose my trust in the world uh, kind of. So I was in a big project, a very big, uh, big company, maybe even the biggest company there is. And uh, after the Ministry of Defense, of course. And, and there was a new architect coming in, a young guy. So he was, I guess he wasn't stupid, but he came up with some guidelines. And one guideline was that every method has to log entry and exit. Mm. And that was... Uh, yeah, I even didn't try to argue with him. But he was, <laughs> this is a very good thing. We will need it when debugging. We have to do it like that. So, yeah. Okay, so so you, you, you end up in writing an aspect oriented programming framework. No, right? I, I didn't do anything. <laughs> I didn't do anything of that. I didn't even argue with him. I was just ignoring him. Right? That's, that's what you do with architects and guidelines. You ignore them. <laughs> Right, so the, the the guide aspect can be ignored. Like it's a guide; you you can decide to apply it or not, and you can have discussions about it. In particular, if you talk about style, like style is a very personal thing, mm. and well, you can agree or not and uh, have discussions about it. But this this may be the confusing part about my book title as well. Uh, it's not really about the the kind of style like indentations because that that's that's a it's a horrible topic, if you ask mm. me, and yeah. I just want to automate that, you know, uh, it, it should be enforced in some way in your project, or at least you shouldn't have to think about it or discuss it in, in, in pull requests or like code reviews or whatever. It's it's pretty much irrelevant. Uh, I mean, it's it's important to have some formatting and, and be a bit consistent uh, so you can all read each other's code, but, you know, there there is a personal taste or habit involved there and... Yeah. So what was your, your first guide you had to follow, Matthias? So one thing, yeah, for, for, for PHP, this, this changed at some point where uh, there were different frameworks that used different standards. Uh, and then there was uh, the introduction of, of a standards group. So they decided on a certain formatting for, for the code. Mm. Uh, and uh, really from the start, I think most frameworks started just following that, uh, that formatting. 
and and also from the start there was tooling that um, that helped you enforce the standard. So there was not a not a big um, like that people didn't didn't need to be convinced that much to uh, to apply that kind of style. They just could do that easily. Uh, and looking at the framework code that they used, uh, it was just very easy to mimic what the framework did. And I think that's how it changed uh, to become a very normal thing to just format the code. Of course, also the the IDEs that uh, uh, do the auto formatting. It's like uh, you don't have to remember doing all the tabs and 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 like what new lines to start. That's um, yeah, no no worries about that. <laughs> So coming from 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 the style, so okay, we uh, we agree here that we as uh, when it comes down to code style, there is automatic formatting and delegated to a tool, and we're done with that. So the next thing that comes to my mind regarding common things that, that developers should at least uh, know about to make common are then the object design patterns. Mm -hmm. Where I don't know, uh, you have the observer pattern, the visitor pattern, and whatnot. Where you mm -hmm. learn all of those, and even if they do not apply all the time everywhere. At least if you come up to the corresponding problem, you have the a suitable solution. At least you can mm -hmm. give it a name there. So when it comes to the, the object design guides, where, where is the where's the difference or where's the jump then? Yeah, the, the difference is that um, uh, I'm, I'm not really talking about formatting, but more about um, what are some, some common structures that you will have in your uh, code. And talking about objects, uh, it's about basically establishing a catalog of different types of objects that every application will need. Uh, and then what does what does each of these types of objects look like? And how do you start with, with one? So if you, if you think about, um, there will usually be some object that's, um, that is able to, to uh, keep the state of your application. Uh, I would call that an entity. It's like an object with, with data in it, um, with some behavior on it that allows you to change the, the, that data. Uh, and then, well, what, what kind of programming things would you need to, to write an entity in code? Well, a class, of course. Um, it should be possible to create it, so it needs a constructor. But given that it's a, it's a bit of a domain model thing, uh, you wanted to make, to make it domain-oriented as well. So uh, in my book, I say, well, an entity always has a named constructor or a static uh, method using which you can create it. Instead of using the word construct or create, you can think of a better name that that fits with a domain uh, in, in a better way. So mm -hmm. that's one of the like an example of a style rule where you say, okay, an entity has has a named constructor, right? And then whenever you want to change something, you do it also in a meaningful way. So you don't have a set this, set that, but you have uh, a method that explains what's going on uh, in terms of behavior. Um, and you don't have yeah. getters for everything, but you use mm -hmm. events to communicate what has happened inside the entity. So these are sort of, um, well, in a sense, they are um, uh, agreements for your team as well. You could say, well, we, we agree on, on doing it like this. But it's also, um, um, it, it keeps you from having to reinvent everything again and again. So an entity here looks more or less the same as an entity there. Um, and if you need an entity, you just know where to start, what to do uh, in order to, to get there. Okay, it sounds like like recipes to follow. Uh, if yeah. if you don't know exactly where to start or something like that, so simply go back to I don't know, a recipe book from your family and right, take yeah. that one. And I think the the, the style aspect of it is that, um, and and I, I'm very clear about it in the book as well. Like this is what I think works well, but also um, you can agree on it 
agree on certain parts, but you don't have to do it all and you don't have to do it everywhere. So you can always say, uh, just like style in writing, you can say it's it's style, it's good style to do it like this, but in this case, I decide that it's good to do it like this, even though we don't follow the rules, but you know, it, it reads better now or easier to work with, something like that. It's like kind of templates. Right? Do you mm -hmm. want to you want to provide templates? I'm wondering where you would uh, put. So it's not about design patterns, is it? It's like mm -hmm. below design patterns. Yeah. And it's yeah. It's apply. It's applying clean code on your object-oriented structures. So it's like above clean code, basically. Yeah. Um, right. Seems also re be related to domain-driven design. So where would you put it? It's mm -hmm. also not implementation patterns, right? Because it's it's larger right. than that. Yeah, yeah. It's in a sense, and I think it's very interesting to, to find out where where my book is <laughs> between all the other books, um, because in, in part it's also about. And I, I think the the one that's closest is um, uh, a book called Object Design uh, by Rebe Rebecca Wurzbrock and uh, some okay. other authors I don't remember, um, okay. which is about uh, the the different roles that objects can play, um, okay. and. I don't think it's it's much about how objects look like in code then, but that's the thing that I'm adding there. It's like that you you will have different types of objects, like you have services and you have entities, and they look completely different. So how do you design them? Uh, and and I think recognizing the roles is part of it, uh, and then deciding how to write the code for it is another part of it. Um, so I would say there is an overlap with clean code in some ways, but clean code focuses mostly on really separate statements even in the code. So how to write the, the methods themselves, the, the code inside the methods. And this is more about how to decide which objects you need um, and, and how do they look like from a bit higher perspective. But it's also yeah. not really architecture. It's not like the, the big structure of the application. Uh, it, it's really in between. And I would say design patterns are even um, like uh, in terms of skill, they are above my book. Uh, so. I'm looking at objects. What do they look like? Uh, and and design patterns are about you know how objects work together to accomplish a task. Um, yeah, it's like object design from from Alan McKean, right? You, you were talking about the book from Alan McKean, right? If I understood this correctly, now. Um, yes. Right. Uh, okay. Okay. And this is. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fine. So because this is a really good book, and that was one of the first books I actually even read when I learned object-oriented programming. So it's in this in this scope, you would say, of course, more modern, more modern ideas, and also a little bit of more domain-driven design included, if I understood it correctly. Okay, yeah. cool. And, yeah, but, uh, but got... you should have you should have said that's Rebecca Wirfbrook because that's the first name and that's sorry, that's, sorry, sorry. Yeah, that's the name where this book is known under at least. People right, and and that's also the the only name I remembered. But uh, yeah. yeah, that's how it goes. Uh, that's a very interesting book. I was asking the question uh, because, mm -hmm. as you said, by skill, it's when to apply it on a learning curriculum, right? So mm -hmm. because I'm also doing trainings or kind of mm -hmm. mentoring activities, and so that sounds like. Do you think it's applicable for like beginner? Because yeah. clean clean code is applicable mm -hmm. to beginner level mm -hmm. because. It's also applicable on beginner level. I would say so. Yeah, it, at least I have tried to do it like that to to make it accessible for really beginning programmers. You should know what programming is, but I think that um, if you know the um, if you have done some some programming course um, like Java for beginners or something, 
you, you know the classes, that, that classes exist, you know how to use methods and call them. Um, and then, uh, at least I've noticed this for, for Java beginner material, um, like, uh, like trade, trading materials, it, it's always really weird examples of things that you, don't, that you will never find in, in real world projects. And, and part of the issue is that um, the classes are confusing. Like in the real project, you will have, like I mentioned, the services and the entities. Uh, or like value objects that that the services work on or work with, uh, and and in these example projects, it's always a dog or something like it's, yeah. that, that's is it a service or an entity? How does it work? Is it identifiable? Does it does it keep state? Is it modifiable in in any way or, you know? So the, I think there's the confusion confusion, um, and I would say if you read my book, I start with these different categories of objects. I just really in a simple way explain what they are doing, um, and then we start into um, well, how how does it what does it look like? How do you start creating your classes? Um, and um, I I, th I think it would really help a lot if people would read it <laughs> in a, you, when they are still the beginner. Do you talk about inheritance? For example, inheritance is for me always an example which is which is mm -hmm. intensively badly explained. Yeah. Right? There's a car yeah. and there's a vehicle and, and stuff like this, right? right? Yeah. So yeah, did yeah. you talk about those topics also? No. The the thing is inheritance. I think. It, it's always uh, taught as like one of the pillars of object-oriented programming. Um, I think the important part is is polymorphism, where you, you don't you don't need to know the exact type uh, in order to call a method on it. So yeah. you can you can let that be determined, uh, well, behind what is accessible to you. Um, but um, inheritance, as in creating trees of hier hierarchies or you know extend from, uh, I think that is. That is not part of the like. It is not a part of the book. I mention it, maybe two times, but mostly to say, well, don't don't start using it directly. Like uh, when when you feel like you need to combine behavior, uh, because most of the times uh, composition is a uh, is the the way to go there. Like combining behaviors by making newer or bigger objects that that combine the behavior um, themselves instead of relying on the language uh, construct there. Uh, right. I, I recently watched a talk, and I'm bad with names or titles or references at all, where the history was also explained, and also the conclusion, well, object orientation, yeah, big hype then, and the realization is, well, inheritance is not the major thing, like I said, it's the, it's the polymorphism that's the interesting part. Right. And, uh, yeah, the, this seems to be the common pattern, now, as we always uh, explain also in the coding dojos and so on and so forth, uh, composition mm -hmm. over inheritance. So it's no longer the, the big hype, I would say. Right. It's yeah. evil. It's evil. Yeah. Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> I would, do it. I, 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 let, let me maybe ask a question which, which maybe, yeah. Swifts or shifts the minds a little bit because I have also because um, Christian just said it's not a big hype anymore. Um, I, I had the feeling, or I still have the feeling from time to time, because I also saw that you were writing a book about microservices, especially in those very distributed systems we are mainly writing these days with small services, right? Also, object oriented programming is not a big hype anymore, right? And I can fully understand this because if I take a look at most of the services I see on my daily business, right? There's a controller, is a service, and this is some kind of database entity, right? Mm -hmm. So I often have this feeling that especially really good object-oriented programming or good object-oriented design 
was was much higher good or people were much more striving for this in, in big fat application fat client applications right where it was not so distributed like this what is your take on this do you think it's a different way of object-oriented programming which you would apply mm -hmm. in for example a microservice architecture versus a big monolithical application yeah well i think in in an extreme case you could say that objects can be services uh, and, and I think this even goes back to, to the beginning of, of object-oriented programming, where these objects are little machines that communicate, uh, work together to uh, accomplish a task. Um, and I think the big diff difficulty there is, like, if you want to make a, um, a service-oriented design, then it's the, the, the difficulty is letting go of um, giving instructions to other services, like mm. tell them to do certain things instead of, uh, what I think is more ideal in this case uh, to say this has happened and then let other services do some work. Um, and I think that um, the, the, the kind of objects that I describe in my book uh, would really match well with a service architecture um, where you say a change happens and um, I recommend always creating an event for the change in order to maybe respond to that event in certain ways or uh, let it let this message travel to other services that also need to be notified. Um, once you have the event, it, it becomes easier to think in these terms, like not just the, the imperative way of do this and then do that, but this has happened now. Well, I don't care what you do, but well, you can do that if you like. Okay, yeah. Peter, do you, do you think that this is viable, I would say topics to address in a coding dojo? Would we, is this also something to, to uh, drill into people that come into coding dojos to exercise on stuff? Or is it always a, a thing that the team has to decide on themselves? Um, that's a really good point. When I'm uh, working with uh, clients and they are going the direction to define their conventions, this is kind of some higher form of convention that we are usually harvesting from the existing code. So at least some code is following the conventions. So now you have these conventions from some best practices, I guess, Matthias, so you are harvesting them from several projects, which, mm -hmm. which makes sense. But in the existing project, uh, I try to harvest them from what is there so that at least 50% of the code is compliant as a good start, maybe. Mm -hmm. And I find these conventions the most powerful ones and no tools help us. So it's also where we can have our own uh, rules, custom rules. So I, I would even go further. I don't know if you do that in your book, but uh, try to try to encode this knowledge also in some uh, static code analysis that everything that is a service needs to have this mm -hmm. and that. We, because we can do that uh, uh, with, yeah. with the modern tooling. Mm -hmm. And if this is not possible, then at least I want to have a sample where everybody copies from. Mm -hmm. And this is pretty similar to your book, but like your yep. book is for all projects. So I want a demo application that has mm -hmm. the one entity. And if I need to create a new entity, I'm copying from there. So that's mm -hmm. a good idea. Now the question is, can we practice that in a coding torture in any practice environment. Mm -hmm. um, it's a good question. So I guess, Matthias, you are claiming that your your guidelines are like uh, widely um, usable, so like mm -hmm. they are 
So all typical web applications might benefit yep. from this structure. Okay. Definitely. Yeah. 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 I, I think like web applications will be the the main target for me because I have yeah. the most experience there. Yeah. Um, I don't think that um, like for 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 a graphical user interface application where there is there is events uh, like user interface events, th things are a bit different. Uh, but you know there must be something in it for for the, for those developers as well. I think. So have you done? Uh, then let me give the question to you because I mm -hmm. don't know. Have you done trainings uh, with the content? So are you training people to use this universal uh, like class designs? Yeah. Well, not not for this book, but I do a lot of training. Uh, I have many programming programs for, uh, for training, um, mostly different areas of 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 the application as a whole, like the domain model, uh, testing, um, and, and as an example, also applying these different concepts like an entity, an application service, an event, an event subscriber, um, see how they can work together. Uh, I, I wouldn't say it's a, it's a dojo, but I do have a program for one day where you can just uh, practice converting a scenario basically into these standard elements, and that works rather well. So looking at a, at a scenario given when then, um, describing what should be the behavior of the application, you can more or less um, extract what kind of elements you would need, like an, an entity for this and an event for that, uh, a read model for that. So not really about the, the, the details of, of coding them, these objects, but more about um, how do they work together and how to decide when do you need an entity, when do you need uh, a repository, things like that. So then it's more like a constraint on the exercise, right? So we are mm -hmm. creating some new code and the constraint is that everything we create, we have to take from your menu yeah. of, of yeah. things. Yeah, it's a menu, yeah. And I think that's one of the things that, that will, will make it very easy for beginning developers as well to, to, to know what they can pick from uh, instead of like, okay, now you need to create a class here and then, yeah, what, what should go in there? <laughs> Yeah, and what kind of class? Because there are like yeah. 100 different kinds of uh, right. class, maybe. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. it's really like Peter mentioned in the beginning. It's it's a it's a collection of templates which you describe mm -hmm. and what is the context or what is the scope or where do the best fit, right? Yeah. Okay. And and one more thing, maybe because it also um, yeah, I also found this interesting what you what you said, Peter, about um, static code analysis, right? Um, mm -hmm. How much of, of the content you're writing in your book, how, how much percentage do you think can be really analyzed statically? How, yeah. how good can this be done? A rough estimate would be maybe even like 70%. Uh, okay. And, 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 but, you know, with the proper annotation saying this is an entity, this is a value mm -hmm. object, mm -hmm. uh, or maybe if you have some namespacing structure for that, you could derive it. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but much of it can be verified and in fact some people have been writing um, some tooling on top of um, uh, a static analyzer for PHP which is called PHP Stan um, and you can write your own rules there uh, and somebody has been creating rules for that uh, where where they verify some rules that are also in the book uh, so that's that's pretty interesting and it, it is possible I would say uh, as an example you know um, uh, services need to have all of their dependencies injected as constructor arguments Silly as it seems, you know, this is for, for PHP, this hasn't has for a long time not been a very, very common practice. It was like, okay, you just instantiate the service and then you set some uh, dependencies uh, one by one mm -hmm. until you are done. 
you know, but when are you done? You know, difficult, difficult to decide. Uh, and and then allow anything to be changed afterwards, or suddenly replace the logger with a null logger or something like that. Uh, and so such a rule can be easily verified. If you say this is a service, then yeah, of course everything should be injected, and it should basically be an immutable object. You can just not do anything with it except calling methods that will do something for you. So if anything is going to be assigned inside the service to a property, what after instantiation? You can say, oh, this is not allowed. No, this, if you want to assign anything in a service, it has to be in the constructor, something like that. Mm -hmm. um, just as an example, there, there are many more like, like this. Like if you change uh, state, you have to be a void method. You want to be a command method. Yeah. Okay, so you said 60%. So, so I would say yeah, your, book is 40, your, your book is 40% about domain-driven design, right? Because how, how do ah, you right. want to <laughs> how do you want to test those things? Do you have also an no. idea on this? Yeah, okay. you, you can't really do that. Um, that's that's the, um, the the fuzzy part, of course. So it's about um, um, trying to get the right names in the code, and of course, I think that's that's also uh, part of clean code. So there is a, there is a bit of overlap there. How to name the methods and and um, the classes, and um, I also think there is not a lot of really concrete advice there just to, to keep an eye out for those possibilities. Like the code is not not the technical thing uh, or it is a technical thing, but try to put as much domain focus in it uh, to make sure that there that, that these two match, like the, the words you write in the code and the words that people use in, in the real world. Coming from the object design guide then, um, you also wrote a book about the package design guide. Is this then related? Is it a, like a precursor or is it complete, on a completely different level? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a bit different. I would say um, I was very much uh, like busy with uh, the solid principles back then. Uh, nowadays, I would say I, I'm not really worried about them that much, but it's like, okay, maybe maybe they, they, they are in my subconscious or something. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Well, but what made, what made me uh, think about differently mm -hmm. about, or at least more more consciously about packages and package design was with Go, because in Go it's not possible to compile something that has circular dependencies. Mm -hmm. So if, uh, without restrictions, I would say at one point you stumble over it if you're not well mm -hmm. deliberate, deliberately looking for it, keeping them separate. And then Go it simply doesn't compile, and if a sudden event happens, yeah. like, oh, whoa, it doesn't work. So I have to rethink, and this mm -hmm. made me uh, more conscious about the packages as well as in, in my Java code, for instance. Mm -hmm. The difficulty there was I was trying to do, uh, uh, I mean, the package design principles are useful on their own, but for regular application development, I think they are less important. Mm -hmm. And I, I thought back then that we should also have packages in our application um, somehow to make them separable, I don't know, uh, or reusable somehow. You're talking about modularity? I'm sorry? Is it about modularity then? So that you have structure inside of the application that would yeah. be modules, right? Yeah, So, but that's also the confusing part where uh, is it about packages or modules or components maybe or can a, can a component be a package or you know, really difficult to decide and then I think there's even more confusion, confusion from domain-driven design which talks about uh, bounded context for instance mm -hmm. and I think those match more with the idea of a module in, in, in a regular application 
but uh, it, it becomes really difficult to decide like where to put things. Um, and is it even important to have this modularity? Do we even need to take these things apart? Um, in, in practice, I think using events is one uh, trick to, to find modularity. Uh, instead of looking at the code dependencies, just make sure that nobody is um, executing long lists of actions. Uh, so there is an event, something something has happened, and something else can respond. I think that's that's uh, that's even the more more important part. Uh, but for bigger bigger applications, we need to some kind of separation. Uh, and but even then, I would say like packages is is not really the the thing we need there. Uh, so in in the book about packages, I was thinking more about uh, how to make sure that a package can be released, uh, can be used separately. Uh, and and um, like back in the days, there was a, a habit for PHP developers to create packages uh, with in, including any any adapter code that that you could think of. Like um, a package uh, for user management would have adapters for all kinds of different databases, uh, storage backends, um, also for different frontends maybe and different options there. Uh, it was called the batteries included approach, but Doing so would also mean that you have all these dependencies in your project, which would suddenly become optional dependencies. And that's really hard to work with because there's a difficulty there in version constraints, uh, even like uh, making sure that every, everything still keeps working for all these different supported versions. Uh, so I was advocating there to create separate packages for all the adapters that you could think of, uh, even, even making it easier for people to create their own adapters, of course. Uh, maybe uh, a last question for this uh, package design. You have the book twice. So one is from A-Press and the other one is like yourself published. So is it the mm -hmm. same book? Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, yeah, again, and, uh, <laughs> again for A-Press, there was also a rewrite. Uh, so for the, it was basically a second edition. Okay, awesome. So you would, uh, so if I'm going to read it, I read the one from A-Press. You're yeah, telling me. Yeah, okay. that's the one. Yeah. And the same is true with the object design style guidelines and yeah. the green book. That's the mm -hmm. that's okay. Is that true? Like the style guide yeah. for object design? Yeah, so both of the um, the original books are no longer available. Uh since since Manning and Apress have re-released it, they oh, okay. they didn't of course want to to have the old book uh, available. And I also didn't want it either because you know the the second ones are much better. Um like yeah. the self-publishing thing uh, I do have uh, usually an excellent reviewer uh, who is uh, who is doing great work with also with the self-published work, um, uh, Ross Tuck. Uh, he is, usually has excellent comments on on everything. So there is a a, a, a certain like baseline quality for self-published books. But um, yeah, like if Manning or or Apress starts to work with me on on something like that, it definitely gets a lot better. And they have experience with many different types of readers, so they always come up with something like, "Oh, there needs to be a, a diagram here because somebody might not, might not get it," or for C sharp developers, this is different because you know. So that's uh, that's great. Maybe a little bit off the topic question, but it could I think be interesting for for the audiences. I think any every every developer at some point in his career thinks, "Okay, writing a book would be great, right?" So <laughs> how much how much time did you invest in in writing those books? Uh, can you somehow roughly tell us how how you usually do it and 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 when what 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 yeah. brings actually the idea of, of doing them? Yeah, so uh, I've been keeping track of it um, just also to be. Like uh, find out if it's um, economically the right thing to do as well. Yeah. 
because you know uh, the writers usually aren't um, very rich people. Um, I think in part because the um, the royalty percentages are so very low. Um, it's like ten percent or fifteen percent. So that's that's that. <laughs> Good to know that. Um, it takes a lot of time. I think um, the the object design book I I wrote it in about 120 hours, which is not too much, I would say. But then Manning came and the whole process there, it took more than that. So in the end, I think it's it's more towards 300 hours, I think, I think uh, including all of the reviews and, and the changes and another round of reviews and adding exercises and things like that. Um, but I think, you know, that that's uh, putting in all that effort leads to uh, to uh, to a good book and it, it's there and people can buy it and they they can uh, ship it to anywhere in the world I think so mm -hmm. that's I mean that's that's a great feeling uh, it, it's it's great that that this is uh, possible um, <clears throat> but still you know to do the self-publishing thing is uh, um, it's also a very interesting experience and it's it's very close to um, to where it happens so the people are uh, reaching out and, and I can talk to them uh, and I'm, I'm very close to that feedback. So that's a very, uh, very useful experience besides having uh, like a, a bigger publisher behind me, which is also great, but um, yeah, being close to the actual readers is an interesting experience. <laughs> is this a usual way of doing? Is this a common pattern that people start to write it on their own first and then they get discovered by, by big companies? I don't think so. <laughs> okay. But um, yeah, you know, I, I don't really like the idea of having a publisher um, asking me, oh, how is it going with the book? You know, because it's such a creative uh, effort and it really depends on the time of the year and how do I feel and, you know, all of that. So um, being able to do it on my own schedule is a great, great thing. Um, it's also, I think, more exciting to, to do it like this. But then, you know, it's a, it's a matter of availability and, like a big publisher can really take care of everything, like the whole marketing thing and, and the printing and the, the distribution thing. So that it's great for that reason. Well, I, I'm not sure. Um, I don't know. For some readers, it has been a bit weird to first buy the book from me and then like, okay, now there is a better version and I have to buy it again. <laughs> mm. I don't know. Uh, but uh, so far, I, I, I didn't hear many complaints. Yeah, that's Thank cool. You. Thank you. Yeah, I will definitely check something out. I at least put it to put it to the end of my to-read list, which nice. is getting longer and longer. Yeah. So much to read, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, we had a good uh, say range from standard code style guide over well object design guides to packages. So thank you, Matthias. And also for uh, you, dear listeners, uh, Manning Publications offers you. 40% uh, discount when you use the keyword pod melange 2.0 at your checkout. We also have a limited number of free ebook codes to give away. Using Twitter, retweet the announcement tweet for this episode, and on the 15th of April, we will give out these codes randomly to those who did. And with that, we jump over to our, uh, let's say, local and now, uh, now also online events where we figure out what, what's best and where to go to. So I again had uh, last week an uh, online meetup in the Go community in Vienna. 
So any other online communities that are now spreading across the globe, perhaps? Matthias, do, do you know or do you have any meetups? Yeah, I was, I was trying to think of, uh, think of one. Um, for meetups, I don't really know, but there is the Dutch PHP conference, which is usually held in June uh, in Amsterdam. Um, it's a great conference, uh, training days, uh, tutorial days. But due to Corona, of course, they they don't um, uh, do it this year. But they do have they do have an online uh, day of talks, and it's um, it's free, so that's that's mm -hmm. awesome. Uh, I don't remember the date, but it should be on um, uh, PHPConference.nl. Yeah, also, uh, and it, because everything is remote now, everything is more accessible. So I was participating in a coding dojo from the Salzburg uh, craftsmanship community which is pretty small but the dojo was uh, quite nice so I'm uh, also on the list for the Berlin uh, crafters community because they're doing uh, practice sessions pretty often but it's all not Vienna right so it's a shame what's happening in Vienna <laughs> Christian so where, where is the coding dojo in Vienna yeah, no, yes, where is it? Uh, still looking for proper online tools. Uh, apparently, now you, Peter, already collected some some experience how to run a dojo uh, online with all the workshop or working groups and coming together. So. Yeah, it's, it's bad, whatever you use. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I really like what, what I think we discussed here also in this round uh, in, the, in the last episode. It's really interesting that you can suddenly, I mean, you always could uh, to join remote events all over the world, but you never did, right? Because you stick to your local events in Rena, which you knew where you know the people, where you mainly also knew the speakers, yeah? But now you can go on meetup.com, right? And you can just type in, I don't know, New York, right? And if it fits in your time schedule, you can just join the JavaScript music group um, from New York, which is which is kind of really funny because you, you think... I, I was not aware that I even live in. I was I was aware that I live in a technology bubble, but I was not aware that I live in a local technology bubble. Honestly, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because even if it's there, yeah. the JavaScript meetup, you talk about total different topics than that we usually in Vienna cover. So that that's really really super interesting. I think that's that's somehow mm. a, a nice learning. Yeah, maybe I keep continue doing this also after COVID nineteen. But in general, of course, yeah, as, as Peter said, um, also for the dojos, also for the meetups, um, we miss, of course, the social contacts. And the funniest part is eating pizza and, 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 and making jokes afterwards, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's that's hard on, on a webcam, I guess. Yeah, I think so, technology is one is one part where, you know, it, 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 it's always messy <laughs> with like, the internet connection and mm. uh, trying yeah. to get everybody there. Yeah. And the talking is even difficult as well like who's who's speaking and well I, I, I don't know well I think I'll have to practice with it as well <laughs> uh, Matthias do you have anything that you would like to advertise so it's pretty much your minute your free minute of advertisement now okay that's great yeah well uh, it's it's a really a, a coincidence but tomorrow is the, um, the release day the early release day for my next book uh, which is about architecture and um, yeah, I started immediately writing it after I finished uh, finished this one, um, because it's also in a sense part two. So it's about using these these different types of objects in in a larger scale picture, of having use cases, 
like uh, process modeling for an application. So uh, that's interesting. And I think, um, yeah, if you like object design, you will probably like this as well. Uh, and it's um, it's available tomorrow. Like it's the, the first two chapters will be available tomorrow and then it will be published like iteratively <laughs> in an oh, agile what way. Called? What's the name of the book then? Ah, so it's an advanced web application architecture. It's available on LeanPub uh, and you can also find it on my website. Ah, great, because the, the episode goes live on the 1st of May, so there will already be some right. chapters to <laughs> It's all good. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess That's we good. wait another half a year and it will be available with Edison Wesley or maybe who knows. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know yet <laughs> what will happen. For me, this is, this, is, this is the experience, right? All right then. Matthias, thank you for having me with us. Thank you too. And we will hear each other for another episode of the Delicious Developer Menage. <laughs>